This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm really glad to be um, with you this morning on this long weekend. Thanks for being in church this morning. And I do know that God wants to speak to us, um, particularly, um, I mean, I think he's always speaking to us particularly in these days. Um, This is not, of course, if you are a student of history, this is not the first time that the human population has been under pressure. Um, But probably this is the first time collectively the entire world has felt pressure all at one time. I mean, before in history you could trace like different parts of different continents were under pressure, but this is collectively the first time all of humanity is sort of feeling this pressure. And... um, I mean, I don't, I'm like sort of just replaying what you just saw there, but we understand that health professionals at this point are saying that there's an epidemic of um, anxiety and pressure that um, many of us are under. And if it's not you that's dealing with crippling anxiety, you generally know somebody that is dealing with that, somebody you love. And, um, you know, intuitively, I think we know that we can't carry on like this. Do, Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we all know, like, can the world keep going like this where we're like all under? And I think a couple of years ago, a lot of us used to think, well, you know what? I, if I could just get off the hamster wheel for a few weeks. Did any of you ever think that? Like I remember saying, okay, when I would get under mega pressure, Dave would come home and I'd be watching those off the grid series. Do you know the series? Okay, I'm the pastor that doesn't camp. But I would, Dave would come home and I would say things like, I think what we just need to do is move our entire family to a treat area somewhere and buy a goat. And if we bought a goat, we could have milk. I don't know why the goat always played into it, but this idea I had would be that we would live and I would build a fort like I was in fifth grade. And we would have a goat. I don't, I don't even camp for a night. I can't even, I can barely manage the church camp out in a tent trailer, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know why this seems feasible. But okay, so I I used to think that if I could just get off the hamster wheel for just a couple of weeks and everything would go back to equilibrium and it would be normal, except then COVID happened and we all had to stay home for two weeks. Do you remember that? To bend the curve? And then two weeks turned into three weeks, turned into three decades, and it's been a very long 30 years. But, But we recognized that even when we stayed home for two weeks, didn't you... The first few days were fun. Let's admit the first few days were fun. And then it was not fun. Then it was like anxiety inducing. And you were like, why are we watching these off the grid movies? This is the worst. This is like a horror show. What I've come to realize is that the restlessness on the inside of us was just far greater than our preoccupation with busyness. And our lack of peace and the never ending pressure of what I recognized will never be solved by external solutions. So I know some of you at this point in time, you go to chapters and you buy your new like journal, the thing that you write things down in and it's gonna be a fresh year. Does any, do any of you do this every year still? Yes, I see that hand. You go and buy one and you feel fresh about it. But the truth is we have to address the storm that is raging inside of us if, we were ever, if we're ever going to get peace. You know, um, we, we hear uh, verses like this, like, um, he is our peace. 
Yes, you've heard that one. Let the peace of God that passes all understanding rest on your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. And I, I began, as I began to write this series, I began to ask myself, what would it look like if I actually lived out those verses in every single part of my life? This is what I am contending, this is what I want us to contend for in this series. You know, in the book of 1 Peter, it says that we're to be aliens, that we're to be different. And in, in a lot of different contexts, that has been like, we dress differently, we listen to different music, we wear Christian t-shirts. And that's how we've interpreted that verse. But what if being a foreigner or being an exile or an alien has less to do with our choice of music and our choice of dress, but what if it means that we become relentless for contending for peace, the peace that only God can bring? being people who don't get conformed to the pattern of the world, but who are transformed by the renewing of our minds. What, what if actually the way that people could see that we were different is because we actually lived, we, we figured out how to live with the peace of God in all of our life. What would that look like in your life? My hope is that over these next five weeks, this series is gonna help us live with the peace of Jesus in a way that is transformative to our life, and okay, so I know all of a sudden I've lost a bunch of you, because you think, well, I don't have an anxiety issue, so apparently I can sleep in on Sunday mornings. And, and let me just push back on you a little bit. So if, if a tub were, dri were to drip, of course the tub would not flood right away. But we have become emergency addicts in our culture, and by that I mean this, we, we uh, like when something is about to flood, then we're like, sound the alarm bell. But if it's just a little drip, it doesn't mean anything, right? I want to suggest that um, any of us that are dealing with any kind of lack of peace, we, we need to get serious about it now and not wait for it to be an emergency. So every year, and I, I would have lived in the camp. I don't, um, I sleep generally pretty well. I'm not like an anxious person in general. A couple of years ago, this was made really apparent to me that this is still an area I've got to work on. Every year, around November, my family goes away and we pick Advent words. We pick Epiphany words. And, um, and this is just a way that we like ask the Lord, what can we be focusing on this year? Maybe we'll talk about it around Epiphany. Anyways, it's a really fun thing. We usually go away for a night and it's fun for the kids and we do a little craft and we... So one year, uh, we're picking our Epiphany words and I picked the word peace. And I thought, great, because sometimes you can get weird epiphany words like you don't know what to do with, like ones that are hard. But peace seemed like, yeah, this is going to be a good year, Lord. And um, my daughter was about four or five at the time. And she was, we were just talking about our words. And she, she piped up with, Mom, I can really tell that the presence of God is here right now. Okay, now, at this point in time, I'm thinking to myself, well, I am really doing a good job of raising godly children. Uh, when you can feel the peace of God in a hotel room, it's not even a church service, praise God. And I said, uh, why, honey? And I am expecting something like, well, like just when you prayed, I could feel the Holy... No, she said, I can tell God's here because you got the word peace, and that's something you really need. <laughs> I told her I was going to tell that story this morning. She said, will everyone think I'm mean in the congregation? And I realized at that moment, oh, 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 we're not doing so well. We're not doing as well as we think we are. Uh, and, and the truth is, I, ne I needed that. I needed the peace of God to infiltrate my life. Okay, so you might not be here and you might not have overwhelming anxiety, but I still think this is something that we have to, we, we actually have to contend with. Because good enough is not good enough. 
If you don't have peace all the time, then th th let, 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 let's begin to ask the Lord, what would it look like for me to have peace in every area of my life? Um, so today, I, I want to talk to you about what I think is the foundational piece of living with peace. If we don't get revelation in this area, we might have zeal for the Lord, but we will always have our life a bit in a pickle. Um, today, I want to talk about what it means to live with patience under pressure. Now, patience for sure is an underrated virtue because we often think of it for um, toddlers, right? Like we talk, do you see the marshmallow? You know, you try to put those marshmallows in front of your kids and go away and see if they're going to be terrible people later. If you're a psychology major, you'll know what I'm talking about right now. But somewhere after we turn three, and, and also patience is also for parents of toddlers. So if you're a parent with a toddler, you come back to patience. Try not to scream 3,000 times a week. But somehow after three, and when we don't have toddlers anymore, patience is not something we talk about very often. And, and maybe it's because it's so basic, because basically patience just means to hold off, to wait, to wait. Although, if I think about my own life, most of the racing in my heart, most of the tightness in my chest comes, and most of the lack of peace that I have in my life comes because I don't have patience. Can you attest to this? Uh, because basically patience is this, um, we, we have this little patience continuum here. Here is where I am, and, and here is where I want to be, oh, way over here, okay? So in between here is where I need to have patience, patience continuum. So um, this is basically how it works, like, so I'm single here, I, I want to be married, and in between there I have to have some patience so that I don't decide to just go with the first thing that comes to me. Or um, I'm, I'm broke now, you're stressed thinking about your credit card bill, but where you want to be is not broke. And in between there is patience to not buy 75 Starbucks lattes that cost you 565. I know this from 565, uh, you, you know. Okay, you've got wild kids who are wild, and what you want is well-behaved kids. And in between here is this big patience continuum. What about this? This is the job you have right now. This is the job you want right now. And in between here is this big patience continuum. I, I want to look at Moses this morning as a, an example. All throughout the series, we're going to be looking at biblical stories. By the way, just, just for your own information, when we uh, lay out the teaching series in the church, it's not haphazard. So... What we try to do is like in the, in the spring, you'll remember we went through the book of Revelation and we went through that expositionally as well as we could in 10 weeks. And then uh, what, I, what I also want us to do is really begin to become aware of all the stories in the Bible. Now, for some of you, these are stories that you know very well, but for others of us, we're just learning them. And so we grow and learn with each other in patience, right? So this series, we're gonna look at a bunch of the stories found predominantly in the Old Testament but Moses is one of the forefathers of the Old Testament. He's perhaps one of the, he is perhaps the most important character in the Old Testament, and he's venerated as a saintly and patient man, but this was not always the case. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, this is important for us to see the grown up there. He was not a child anymore. He wasn't just impetuous. His limbic system had grown up. He went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. 
He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked, them, uh, he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Okay, so here we have Moses. Let me just, if you haven't seen The Prince of Egypt, the movie, let me just give you a little background. He's been rescued by an, an Egyptian princess, raised in the court of Pharaoh, and yet somehow he understands that he is Hebrew. And maybe he has some inclination that he is to be their deliverer. We know this because Acts chapter 7 actually tells us this. Uh, when, when Luke is writing the account of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, he says, uh, verse 25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. This is a very interesting verse because it tells us that Moses somehow thought that he was going to be the deliverer of the people of Israel, and yet nobody else could recognize that. Um, he thought that in seeing injustice brought to his brothers and sisters, the best thing he could do was rise up and kill the Egyptian. And this does not go well, and he is relegated to the backside of a desert for 40 years. Um, so while the extreme nature of this story is not like something, I think all of us can relate to this story. I mean, it's not every day that your impatience gets you to kill somebody and you bury a body. At least I hope that is true. If that is true of you, please go see a police officer at the end of this message. But this is often our story. Moses' story is often our story. We have some inclination that we are some kind of a person or that we should have something that we do not have. And so we impetuously go ahead. And sometimes those decisions are small, like our Starbucks coffee. We think that we're a fancy person and we're negative 50 in our bank account. And sometimes those decisions are big. Like we think we should be a married person, so we go ahead and we marry somebody who's not in line with our beliefs, and this causes us, it's the accumulation of all these acts of impatience that cause us big time problems. It's the accumulation of continuing to act impatiently that almost always banishes us to places that we do not want to go. We get into money troubles, we have difficult marriages, we have issues with our health. And it's not really like you can entirely blame us though, can you? Because our society is always trying to tell us to move faster, make more decisions uh, quickly, quicker, faster, better decisions, and it feels somewhat like we're being bullied into being impatient. So Moses, he kills a guy, he buries him, and then he's forced to run for his, for his life from Pharaoh. I don't know about you, but if I killed somebody, I did not, but if I did, and then I buried their body in the desert, and then someone found out about it, and I had to run from Interpol, because basically this is what he was doing. He was running from Pharaoh, who was the most powerful person on earth. Pharaoh personally is hunting down Moses. I don't know about you, this might be stressful. This might be a stressful existence, yes? Like... I think we read these stories and we go, oh yeah, Moses just killed somebody and then he went and he tended goats or sheep because that's normal. Like this man was actually running for his life. And we're told in the Bible that Moses 
um, after this time that Moses speaks with a stutter. Now, this is not true of all stuttering, but we do know that psychologically, sometimes when people have really stressful situations, it causes them to stutter. And so I'm just going to objectively say that perhaps Moses was under mega pressure. Mega, mega pressure. What's wild is that Moses um, is in the desert for a long time, and you know this because um, he tells us, it, Moses is the writer of Exodus, and um, it, it says in verse 23, during that long period, he has to stay with his father-in-law and work for him for a long period. It's long. And if you were Moses, you might have well have just given up Moses, while he's in the desert, he has this, um, he gets married to Zipporah, Jethro's daughter, and he has a son named Gershom. In the Bible, names were very important. What you called your baby, if you're pregnant right now, please do not name them Gershom. It's a terrible, terrible, no good name. If you were naming them that, if you've named your baby Gershom already, I'm sorry. But it means I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Can you see? You can hear the pressure that Moses is under. This is interesting for a number of reasons. Parents, by the way, we, we project our anxiety onto our children. If we have anxiety and lack of peace in our lives, we will project that onto our children. And this is why we must deal with it now. Young adults, let me just speak to you. Those of you that don't have children yet, deal with your stuff now. Don't wait till you have kids to deal with it. But look at what Moses is saying about himself. I have become, so he's talking about his son Gershom. I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. What he's basically saying this is, I have become unknown to myself. I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. I've become unknown to myself. I have become what I never thought I would be. And if we're honest, a lot of us can relate to this sentiment, can't we? We feel as though we are foreigners in our own bodies. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the fallout of our own impatience? How do we, like, make it right? Do you wonder if Moses, after, like, year 30, was like, well, I guess... Or like, what, what, what year did Moses go, I guess this is not going to happen? You remember when we were all at home and you started, started giving up on all the things that you ever thought to do, and it was only two years? <laughs> Moses was there for 40 years. And things are not um, going well. But his life sort of gives us a great blueprint of what it means to be people who live after our impatience. So after killing the Egyptian, Moses stays there for a long time. But then something happens. And God does call him to be the deliverer of Israel. And what's wild, what's wild to me is that Moses needs the patience of Job to deal with what he's going to have to deal with. So he goes from a guy who's like, you know, someone ticks him off and he doesn't like the idea, he kills him, bears him in the desert. To being perhaps one of the most patient people on the planet. Do you realize once Moses uh, has to go to Pharaoh to get the children of Israel back, um, he has to go back not once, not twice, not three times, not, he has to go back ten times. Have you ever had to go back for something, to take something back before? Like, do you remember, uh, how many of you have ever had a fast food order gone wrong? They forget your fries. How many of you are the kind to say yes, I go back. If, if they didn't give me my fries, I go back. Oh, we have a lot of conflict-averse people in this crowd. How many of you just drive away? You're like, whatever, whatever. Okay, yes. Okay. So imagine 
Imagine you're all the conflict diverse people. I want you to really come with me here for this minute. Because I think we, we watch like the Ten Commandments of Charlton Heston. And it just seems dramatic and beautiful. Like Moses going back saying, let my people go. But can you imagine that he had to go back ten times? It's like going back for your Big Mac order ten times. You got the sauce wrong. You got the fries wrong. You didn't get my ketchup. I need sweet and sour sauce. Like... I mean, I know that I'm, I'm metaphoring this at the ground, but like, I think, we, I think we read the scripture often and just go, oh, it was normal for him to go back 10 times. He liked it. I'm sure he really liked it. Some of you won't even go back and get your fries that you paid for. And Moses had to go back 10 times to ask Pharaoh, okay? So he, and, and all these things have to, I mean, the man is, blood and gnats and boils and I mean, I mean you, none of you could probably name the ten, 10 plagues because they're just wild. All of them are wild and there's so many of the, so so very many of them. And then after Moses finally gets his guy to like agree, gets Pharaoh to agree, then he's got to take like four million toddlers out into the desert. Ah, it's like cats, like a herd of cats. And they're terrible. They're the worst. Moses actually has to grow in patience, and he has grown in patience. But what happened between guy who kills somebody in the desert because you're bugging because you're just the worst to like now I'm just going to, and he wasn't perfect. We'll talk about that in a second. He wasn't perfect, but he didn't, he didn't kill anybody and then bury their body in the desert anymore. Like something happened. He was transformed. This is good news for me. This is good news for me because it means that we can all grow in patience. So what happened? Did Moses just grow older? No. Because growing old doesn't equal, doesn't equal patience. You've all met somebody who was older that had no patience. And neither does usefulness imply impetuosity. I want to suggest that only one thing happened for Moses. And that was that he encountered God. The only thing that grew Moses' impatience, or that grew his patience, was that he encountered God. So now Moses was tending, and Exodus 3 says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And it goes on to talk about the encounter that God had with Moses. Had with Moses. And Moses, after this encounter, is absolutely transformed. You see, I think that there are two reasons why encountering God grows our patience. It, it helps us in our, and this in turn helps us with a lot of the anxiety that we feel. First thing is it helps us remember what he spoke to us. The enemy's most cunning de deceit to you and I is this. He used it in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, and he uses it in our lives every day. He says things like this. Did God really say that? Hmm. Did God did God really say? I mean, did he really mean that? And he uses this trick to us over and over and over again. 
And this is how we get trapped in impatience. This is how we, did God really say that we have to be kind to people? And then we cut someone off on the deer foot. It's in the small things and the big things. Did God really say that we should not be unevenly yoked together with unbelievers? Oh, I think it's okay that I... Did, did God really say that we're to be above reproach and all the... Like, the enemy continues to use this, and this leads us to impatience, which then leads us to anxiety. It's his greatest trick. It's his greatest trick in my life, always. Because we are all the kings and queens of justification, right? We can justify anything. But when we encounter God, when we get in his presence, we actually can remember what he said to us. We actually encounter him. And encountering him, it's not just a memory of him. Some of you are living off memories of what God did in your life six months ago. You're living off a memory of what God did. And it's easy. Our memories are weird. Have you ever remembered something that didn't actually happen? because you saw it as a child in a picture? You ever done this with your mom and you, re you, you recall to your mother maybe it's something that happened and she'll say, that didn't happen like that at all. And you're like, it did. You know, it's called a false memory. We, we are the kings and queens of false memories too. So we, we actually have to be in the presence of God all the time so that we can continue to remember what God said. And then the second thing is this, it keeps us from relying on our own strength. I don't know if you've ever had a day like this where you were like, today is the day that I'm going to really be patient or joyful. Have you ever had a day like that where you just like, you draw a line in the sand. Today's my day, 9 o'clock in the morning, and then it's the worst. You're yelling. It's, you have like lost the plot on all the things, and then you've got to start again. Yes? That's because you can't do it on your own. That's the greatest, the greatest thing about Christianity is that we can all admit we can't figure this out ourselves. That's the point. I, I mean, when people say to me, well, I don't go to church because there's a lot of, like, terrible people there. Yeah, yeah, we're all here. We are all here taking up space in these chairs. And, and the reason we get together is because we recognize that we cannot do it ourselves, that it is by grace alone that we are saved. It is by grace alone that we continue to be saved. Does God transform us? Yes, he does. But he is continually transforming us, and that takes time. So we remind ourselves that we cannot do it on our own strength. I can't be patient on my own strength, but through Jesus I can't, and I, I must encounter God. Okay, so here's the better question then. How do we encounter God? Because it's not like we can conjure a burning bush. It's not like you can all go out there in the parking lot and be like, let's look for some burning bushes, everyone. In all of scripture, encountering God was defined by ver two very specific things. Two very specific things in all of scripture, in all of church history. And here are the two things, watching and waiting. Watching and waiting. Waiting and watching. Moses, in fact, would not have encountered God's presence if he had not been watching. Fires, um, most historians will tell you that people that were uh, shepherds in that day, it was very, very common to see fires in the desert. That was nothing weird for Moses. These little fires would happen all the time. What was interesting was that it was a fire that didn't burn up the bush. Moses had to be watching for that. This was extraordinary. And waiting, like our culture um, 
is, is not, we're not good at waiting, are we? My microwave broke recently, and um, I, I thought that I was gonna be a granola person now who didn't have, and if you don't have a microwave, you're healthy, amazing. But I thought I was gonna go without a microwave, and I said to Dave, we don't need a microwave here in this house. Because we're going to be healthy from here on out, and we're just going to melt butter by steaming it. And I was at this for like a good couple months, till finally, one day, I was like, I can't take it anymore. We need a microwave, even if it's just for the butter, because we're addicted to this, like, everything quick, right? Because, do you know, steaming butter, if you do this, bless God, or you're really organized and you put your butter out before you need it, it takes a long time. We're addicted to wait. We're addicted to fast. Everything fast. Everything happening quickly. But most good things in life take time. Some of us are dealing with crippling anxiety because where we are now is not where we want to be. What we need more than anything else, what we need more than anything else is a practice of waiting and watching. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he says um, this to the disciples, watch and pray. What was, it, what was he talking about there? Sometimes I think we read these scriptures and we just go, oh yeah, that makes sense, watch. What were they watching for? I want to suggest that they were watching for God. They were watching for God to comfort them. Now hear me, in all of this, I'm not, if you're dealing with crippling anxiety, you must hear me. Um, particularly in our church, we are not against getting help. Go get professional help, therapeutic help. But I do think that the Lord walks with us as well in this. So sometimes I think the pendulum goes like so far one way that we, that we say, oh, well, God can't help you with that. No, 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 no. God walks with, us, walks with us through all things. And part of the way that, we'll, that he'll help us is as we watch and we wait. Someone said to me, um, I've tried having times of prayer, just like I've tried having times of prayer. And it seems like nothing's accomplished when I pray. It feels like I just wasted like a half an hour of my time and I have so much to do. And I want to suggest that maybe that's the point. You just need to be with God. Maybe prayer is more about just being with God. No agenda, no productivity, just being with Him, waiting on Him. This is why um, when we do pre-service prayer here, 9.30, let me just give a little plug to it. 9.30, every Sunday morning, we just meet here in the sanctuary and oftentimes we just sit and wait and nothing spectacular happens. We just watch and wait. There's a psychologist, John Zabit-Zinn, who did a big um, study about anxiety. And he said, part of the reason our culture's having so much anxiety is we have no downtime. Like we have no nothingness time, like where we just have no productivity. And it's causing us to feel like crazy. 
the non-doing in prayer, see when God called us to prayer, to watch and to wait, this makes so much sense because we just wait on him. We just wait on him. We watch for what he's doing. We watch for what he's speaking to us. And it quells our anxiety. We don't have quiet time every day so that God can give us a golden star and say, wow, you certainly are a good Christian. Good for you, solid A plus student. We have quiet time every day so that the Spirit of God can speak to us, can transform us. If you wanna grow in patience here this morning, we need to encounter God. The only way we're going to encounter God is by watching and waiting, waiting and watching. And this transforms us. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never encountered this God who wants to help you grow in patience and peace. Today, I wanna give you an opportunity to know him. When we talk about Christianity in this way, we don't talk about it as some far off religion full of rules and rituals. The Bible tells us so that we were never good enough on our own, none of us were. I mean, it takes me five seconds to realize that it might take you, you might be better than me, so it might take you 12. None of us could ever do it on our own. But God sent Jesus to bridge that big divide between us and him. Because if you're like me and you keep trying and trying, it seems like that bridge gets bigger and bigger. And God could see our frustration and sent Jesus who makes that bridge. And all we have to do is say, Jesus, I accept you. Because of his death, he's able to absolve us from our sin. We don't have to have it all together. That's the amazing thing. I've talked with hundreds of people who said to me, Jessica, I don't feel like I can come to God yet because I, like, I don't have it all figured out. Good, you never will. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to say yes to Jesus. And when we say yes, when we say yes, everything changes about our life. We now have access to God in every part of our life. And this means yes in areas of patience, in areas of all the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. We no longer have to do things on our own. His very presence transforms us. Let me just speak to, so if you're here today and you've never, you've never made that decision, I, I just want to encourage you today to say yes to Jesus. To say yes to his presence. Let me just speak to the rest of us here. You know, once we've accepted the gift of salvation, there's a really real tendency for us to let, then try to work out the rest of it ourselves. Try to live the rest of our lives on our own strength. And that's why you often find Christians who love Jesus, but they're like, not really nice people. <laughs> because they've been trying to work it out on their own. And we just can't, we just are incapable of doing that. The way to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the way to get to peace in our lives is not to try harder. It's to continue to encounter the presence of God. You see, Moses encountered God in that burning bush, but it would not be the only time he encountered the presence of God. His whole life was marked. 
His whole life was marked by encountering God. He climbed mountains to find the presence of God. He went to the tent of meeting and his face was glowing with the presence of God. We must be people who are pursuing the presence of God on an ongoing and continual basis. This week, I, uh, I went to the physiotherapist because I have a shoulder injury. And um, the physiotherapist gave me a whole bunch of exercises. If you've ever been there before you go and then they email you a bunch of exercises that you have to do every week. And um, funny thing is, like what I wished is that I could go to the physiotherapist and just, like she was gonna fix me there. She did not. I actually had to do the exercises. But you know, we practiced it in her office so that I could, I need a lot of practice. So we practiced them. I kind of want, the response this morning, what I want it to be is sort of like going to a physiotherapist's office. The band's gonna play for a minute and I, I just want us to watch and wait for a few minutes. Now, if this is the only time that you watch and wait, your impatience is probably not going to get fixed very well. But if we use this as an opportunity just to practice something, and then when we go home, when you got five minutes in the car, when you're waiting in the lineup to pick your kids up from school, when you're driving somewhere, when you're waiting at a doctor's appointment, we use these moments to watch and wait. I can guarantee you this, that God's presence will find you and will change us. Yes? So God, right now, I pray that you would help us to watch and wait for you. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see you. Jesus, thank you for your gift that brings us close to you. Thank you that your death absolves us from sin so that we can find you in every part of our life. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you now, ears to hear you, and a heart to understand in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.